0: The views and opinions expressed by contributors on the Spoon River Gothic podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the position of the host. Material heard on the Spoon River Gothic podcast is intended for adult listeners. This podcast deals with mature topics that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. This is Spoon River Gothic, narrative of a double homicide.
1: your call, please leave a message after the tone.
2: anyone who knew Mr. Bob Durenzi?
1: Um what did you
2: need? I'm conducting research about a fire he was involved in and I was hoping to know if he ever spoke about the fire and how it affected him.
1: Oh no he did not. I'm sorry. And he's passed away since so
2: And what is your relation to him?
1: I'm not. We just bought the business from him years ago.
2: Oh okay. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Hello? Hi, I was hoping to speak to a family member who knew Mr. Bob Derenzi.
1: Uh, that would be me. Uh, who, who is this?
2: My name is Jinra. I'm conducting research about a fire he was involved in, um, and that research we're hoping on developing content for a podcast.
1: Oh, ma'am, he's passed away.
2: Hello. Hi. I was hoping to reach Mr. John Stenko.
1: Thank hey, you.
2: Hi, my name is Jinra, and I'm conducting research for a criminal justice report for an upcoming podcast that's specifically about the Donald Bull case, and I was hoping to know if it was a good time to ask some questions about the case or if we could schedule a time later.
1: Uh, We could probably schedule a time later. Uh, Just heading to the airport
2: to pick up my brother. Okay, um, when's a good time for, when are you going to be available?
1: Um... Well, how long would it take you?
2: I would say about half an hour of your time.
1: Okay, all right. Um, you might try me later this afternoon. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Right. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.
2: Mr. Stenko, this is Jenna. Have I reached you at a good time?
1: Uh, it's probably as good as any. Okay. There's a little bit of a little bit of noise in the background because they're putting a new roof on today. Um, can, so can, you, can you hear me? Okay.
2: I can, and that reminds me, I need to um have my roof reworked. <laughs> um,
1: so, <laughs> so. I got a few questions here before we start. Sure. You said your you said
2: your name was jenna jinra
1: j-i-n-r-a j-i-n-r-a
2: well i wouldn't have a guessed and i apologize it's okay i'm with uh last name? my last name is very long so i will have to spell that out for you that's okay i l u s t r i s
1: oh wait a minute I-L-U-S
2: as in Sam or F as in Frank? S as in Sam.
1: Okay. And then go on from there. P-R-I-
2: P-R. Okay. S-I-M-O. Illustrisimo.
1: Okay. <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm calling with Lonebird Media and I'm working currently conducting research for criminal justice support um, for an upcoming podcast, which is going to be specifically about the Donald Bull case. And right now we're just... I'm sorry?
1: What was the media company, Lone Bird?
2: Lone Bird Media. And our website is lonebirdmedia.com Is that L-O-N-E? Yes.
1: B E R G or
2: B E R G. B I R D. Lone Bird Media. Oh,
1: Lone Bird. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. okay. You, have you been, who
2: else were you assigned to call? If I might add? Um, basically any of the uh, investigators connected to the case, um, friends and family members of the victim and uh, friends and family members of the man that was convicted.
1: All right, well, I'm just kind of curious about all this, how this came about, so.
2: Of course. All right, what are your initial memories of the incident?
1: Um, well, my initial, my initial memories are that uh, we were called for a fire that morning uh, in the apartment where Donna Thompson and her daughter lived. Um, after the fire was extinguished by then, uh, Bodies uh, of Donna and Justin were discovered in the house. We were told that they were in there. What?
2: And at the time, um, at the time that this happened, what was your what was your role with the fire department?
1: Um, I believe at that time I was a lieutenant and uh, was on a engine engine company. And uh, but I was also a fire investigator.
2: What were your initial suspicions?
1: Uh, we didn't
2: have any initial uh, And how did how did uh, it, how was it discovered that the fire originated?
1: Uh, it was discovered that it was
2: intentional The court records say that uh, Miss Donna Tompkins' daughter was found curled next to her. Um, if she was murdered, do you think this is plausible?
1: Um. Well, I wouldn't know why not.
2: Some reports well, say
1: this, this podcast is actually connected to Spoon River College. I'm sorry. Uh.
2: This
1: this this podcast is connected to Spoon River College. No. Well, I'm looking looking at Lone Bird Media, and it's got uh, all about Donna. And, uh, Investigation of Double Homicide, Donna mm-hmm. of Donald and in Thompson, and the depiction of Donald Bale Jr. It's called Spoon River Gothic Podcast. hmm is that, is that you? Yes, yes. Okay. So where, where are you based on
2: Um. So the office is in uh, New York City.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to
2: interrupt. <laughs> it's okay. Um... How was it possible for a gasoline fire to smolder for two hours without catching the house on fire or alerting other people with the smoker scent? I don't
1: think anybody ever said that the fire smoldered for two hours.
2: And how was, how was Donald Bull determined as a suspect?
1: Uh, there was a lot that went into how he was developed as a suspect, but ultimately there was uh, uh, a lot of evidence developed, them, including DNA evidence, that uh, came into
2: this. As far as the investigation goes, how do you feel that the investigation went on either either your side as a as a fire investigator or the police?
1: Um, I think everybody. I mean, it was a, We had a task force that helped investigate this, um, up to and including ATF, uh, the sheriff's office, the local police, fire department, the state fire marshal's office. There were many agencies involved in this. But I thought everybody worked together fairly well. And, um,
2: and did you testify during the Donald Bull trial? What can you tell me about your testimony?
1: Uh, well, uh, I mean, I testified to origin and cause. Uh, introduced samples that had been taken during the course of the investigation. Um, I mean, I, I, think I testified for like eight hours. Okay.
2: Did any, did anything about this case or trial seem off to you?
1: What do you mean by off?
2: Off as in, not right?
1: As far as the trial?
2: And, well, the case in general.
1: No, nothing, nothing strikes me that, you know, about it being off. I mean, it was a long investigation. Uh, I think it was something like 18 months maybe before Donald Bull was even arrested.
2: Do you feel justice was you know, there? I'm reading
1: this website. I'm reading this website. It says immediately that justice was considered suspicious, and I was disagree with that. But, Um I'm, so I'm not sure where this other information has come from on this website so go ahead
2: okay. I'm curious I'm, I'm wanting to explore that um, you feel that that this wasn't suspicious at all the, what?
1: the death wasn't suspicious right no no I, I think once we got the facts, I, I think it was you know, definitely a uh, homicide. But this, the website says that immediately they death ask considered decisions. And I'm not sure that that would be accurate because until at least we had uh, the autopsy, initial autopsy findings, I would think that we didn't know that it was suspicious. I understand. Or a homicide.
2: Okay. And um, do you feel justice was served?
1: Yes. Okay.
2: Would you happen to know anything about an anonymous letter that the mayor and the police chief received regarding mishandled evidence? Uh, I would not.
1: I don't what police chief. Okay. You know, which, I mean, there's been several chiefs. You know what chief? Um,
2: Michael Elam?
1: No, I don't know anything about that.
2: Okay. And are you aware of any any new evidence that the defense was going to present at Donald Bull's hearing um, in 2002? Uh, the hearing was to um, an attempt to help exonerate him from death row. Oh, no, I don't know anything that. Okay. That would be the
1: case that, that
2: would have been involved. Um, and if there was anything you could say to, to Donna Tompkins, what would it be?
1: Well, I do well, I uh, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think we did a good job and, uh, on the investigation. And, and you know, I, I would hope the justice was served. You know the trial was a clean trial. I think the attorneys on both sides did a good job. Uh, you know the state and the and the defense. And, um, I think every you know everybody had their, their chance in court and, and uh, did their job. Hi, General, this is Jack Mululi returning your call.
2: Hi, Mr. Mululi, how are you?
1: Good, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. So the reason why I was calling is because I'm researching a case you worked on about 30 years ago. Um, uh, Obviously, there was a fire. (laughs) Um, It involves a gentleman named Donnie Bull and the woman that passed from the case, her name was Donna Tompkins.
1: Okay, what town was that?
2: That was in, um, Canton. Oh,
1: okay. Canton, Illinois? Yes. Yeah, wasn't, uh, was it just, uh, Donna that passed away, or was there a little kid also?
2: There was a little girl.
1: Yeah. And both of them passed away, right? Right. Um so what did you uh what are you do, what are you doing with the podcast?
2: So the intention is just to um tell the story as accurately as possible and just to humanize everyone involved.
1: Um and what's the, what's the motivation? I mean, how did you hear about that old case?
2: It's a story I think everyone should be aware of.
1: And who else have you spoken with about that case?
2: Um, I've spoken with uh, Mr. John Stanko. Uh, and then I do have some names of some of the firefighters that were present. Uh,
1: so what what is the current position of the defendant.
2: Uh, w- what happened Mr. to Mr. Bull?
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, uh, he, he ended up on death row and he died while waiting.
1: So he died while on death row? Yes. I know, um, it
2: was so long ago.
1: Yeah, in a lot of times if we were involved in helping at the scene and the state guy or the local police are, are willing and able to who, uh proceed with uh, the continuing investigation and prosecution on their own, then we just, you know, close that out as an assistance to state and local investigators and and not, you know, be involved in the criminal case itself. Do you have any record that there was any ATF, uh, any prosecution in federal court in addition to the state court?
2: It went all the way to the Supreme Court. Of Illinois. And what were the
1: results? Um,
2: they, they affirmed the previous ruling, which was to, so, to send so. the man to uh, death row. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, what, what did you want to know about the case for me?
2: I just want to know what all you remember, if you remember anything. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I don't remember a lot. I don't remember. If uh, John Marocca, the other um, ATF agent that that was uh, a certified fire investigator and a certified explosive specialist like myself, I don't know if he would uh, initially be the one involved and then call me to come also or vice versa. It depends. Sometimes you you get involved with assisting a state and local uh, agency. And, you know, they're strapped for manpower or lack experience in this sort of case. And then they request uh, more uh, help. So then an agent that may not be a technical specialist um, would, you know, maybe be assigned to help them with the investigation part of it. And then case maybe would only go to state court, but that, uh, ETF case agent would also testify in the state. I don't remember testifying in that case. Yeah. I mean, my recollection was the, the uh, the body, the woman's body was on a burned up mattress and, uh, uh, we were postulating that he poured, uh, uh, beverage alcohol, uh, around, uh, on and around the body and ignited it in an attempt to, you know, cover up the homicide, uh, whatever. But I, I don't even remember at this stage if there was any lab, uh, re- results from the state lab. I understand. John, John Stanko was, uh, uh, I think he was the lead fire investigator uh, for the fire department. Right. And he later became deputy chief, I think even chief down there. You said you spoke with what, him, what's he up to now? <laughs>
2: um, I didn't quite ask him about what he was up to. Um, I I just asked him, you know, the same questions, what he recollected from it, how he felt the investigation went, whether or not he testified and what it, what all he remembers
1: um so i mean he would be a resource to find out if there was any further atf uh assistance in the case other than seeing work um if he, if he was there you know if he was the state quote-unquote case agent um uh, he would he would be familiar with all of that i don't recall testifying down there in that case in state court. Um, but, you know, if, like, like I say, if John Morocco was, I think he had already worked a big case down there. And so they contacted him and maybe he called me to say, hey, there's a you know, double homicide down here. Um, but then he did the paperwork and maybe he was the one that testified, uh, I'm assuming there was a criminal trial. Yes. That went to a guilty verdict. Yes. And then he, uh, he his attorney filed appeal on that, Right. So, but I mean that's uh, that's about. I don't even remember what the coroner, um, or the medical examiner, listed as the actual cause of death. Uh,
2: okay. so we, I have the the report, the autopsy reports. Um, and the cause of the death was, uh, um, asphyxiation.
1: Okay, well, and does it describe what means?
2: It had mentioned that the medical examiner had, uh, had testified that it's possible that maybe a pillow did it.
1: Okay, because asphyxia is kind of a general, uh, a term, so... You know, there can be manual evidence of manual strangulation um, by hands or using a garage or, right. something, or or you know, by a pillow. But sometimes, depending if the, if the person dies in a fire, they may also risk that it's as a, as a potential cause.
2: From but the in that case, gases.
1: There, there would be evidence at post-mortem of strangulation. Uh, in the airway when they did the post-mortem exam if the body is dead prior to the fire the body's not breathing so there's no soot and smoke inhaled um, and if, if they find evidence of soot in, in the trachea then they can say that the person was alive during the fire and that therefore breathing the products of combustion contributed to the death
2: uh, if I remember correctly um, I think it was determined that there wasn't and if there was there was very low levels
1: yeah I mean my recollection was that we felt that she was dead and then poured to try to the, you know disguise the fact um, I mean that's that's about it you know I don't have any records reports that.
2: I know it was 30 years ago but do you do you remember what it was like at the scene
1: um I mean the bedroom was um I don't know, uh, I don't have a lot of recollection I remember the the body on the bed um and the burned mattress um but I don't remember about the rest of the damage, you know, to the structure uh, uh, at all. I know that we were able to make the access so it. it, wasn't like there was, you know, the collapse of the building or anything. Um, alcohol is not a great element Um But it's also, it's also as, as far as the way that it burns. But because it's water soluble, it's more difficult to detect after the firefighters come and spray water to suppress the fire. I mm-hmm. see. Um, that, uh, that because it's not like gasoline or you know kerosene or lamp oil or something um, that won't mix with the, uh, the oil, it will be the alcohols will be diluted and carried away, you know, by the water many times. So. You have to kind of find a protected area uh, where it could the alcohol could have flow, flowed like say under a body in an absorbent mattress material but then may have been more protected from the water spray because of the body on top of it and the lab has to be instructed uh, to first search for uh, an alcoholic solvent because their normal testing would not Oh. So in the normal te- in the normal testing may prevent it from being tested for it later. So if you suspect a water soluble exhalant, you have to notify that in the lab to do those tests first before they do the the, uh, uh, the following ones.
2: Do you think maybe they did?
1: Well, we would have and we would have told them, hey, we suspect that it was an alcohol based accelerant, so I see. hopefully that's what they tested for first. But like I say, because of its solubility, it, uh, it's difficult to find a lot of times.
2: Uh, when, you, when you were there for assistance, was this the day that the fire happened or another time afterward?
1: No, I believe it was the same day. Okay. Yeah, whatever, whatever time it took us to drive down there.
2: After after this closed up, did you uh, pay any additional attention to this case?
1: I did not. If We were not doing the follow up on it. There's too many other irons on the fire or other cases coming in. I understand. Um, so and a lot of times they want to take the case to the state court system, and, and many times the penalties are maybe greater. So yeah, go ahead. You guys want to do it, take it. Her case, um, and then we would just point out things at the team that they want to make sure that they document and, and use for you know later use at trial.
2: I've actually learned quite a bit just talking to you.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad to help. Sorry that, it's, uh, that the memory after thirty years isn't as good as it should be, probably. Right. <laughs> but there's so many so many scenes, you know, every year. On top, you know, multiplied by thirty.
2: Uh, wait. Uh, quick maybe, question. You know,
1: 10 yeah.
2: On average, how many how many cases um, does the ATF deal with for fires a year?
1: Oh, uh, oh, I wouldn't have any recollection about that. I mean, there's that, there's stats that I'm sure are available, but you know, there's there's a difference in stats know arson prosecutions that atf is involved with would be one number and then a much much larger number would be uh fire scenes that uh, uh special agent certified fire investigators assisted state and local investigators with so there wouldn't be a, an atf prosecution recording i see but uh, in this in this case i don't think that there was but you it, it was in the job description in the mandate for the the specialty position of, a, of an atf certified fire investigator one of the things that you were supposed to do is provide assistance to and training for state and local investigators because our program is much more uh, sometimes you go to a few weeks of training in the state and you get certified whereas ours was a uh, minimum two-year training program to be certified, so. um, You know, we were one of the job descriptions was to be a resource for local investigators.
0: Spoon River Gothic is a production of Longbird Media in association with CZ Studio. The show is produced by August Olson. Editing, directing, and producing by Corey Zimmerman. Audio mastering and engineering by E. Mastered. Research is done by Anne-Marie Cannon, Chelsea Mesa, and me, Jinra Illustrisimo. Spoon River Gothic is written and hosted by Corey Zimmerman. You can follow the show at czstudio.works and read the blog at spoonrivergothic.com. Show some love by leaving us a rating or a review on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for the next episode as we dive deeper into the Donald Bull case. Thank you for listening. This is Spoon River Gothic, narrative of a double homicide.